0: hello and welcome to end credits here on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca Well campus and community radio i am adam a donaldson and joining me today is
1: i'm candace lapage
0: candace uh here we are recording on sunday yes they running into each other outside bigamins on friday <laughs> yes, I was
1: just I was just in the neighborhood there. Yeah, so,
0: so. so so was I. Yeah. I yeah. just uh hopped on the Go bus and went to another neighborhood in another city to no particular reason. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I took someone else's electric vehicle and just decided to visit.
0: Oh that's nice, yeah. Yeah, no. Um yeah, great what yeah, just great atmosphere. Five hundred of your closest friends just really angry about stuff. It was great.
1: Yep, good none times.
0: Of, none, of, none of it movie related, but that's okay. Um, uh, you
1: know what, though? <laughs> it sure feels like a movie. <laughs> Some of Ontario politics in the last couple of weeks um, has felt like I was watching uh, a Marvel movie. <laughs> or really? at the very least, you know, a Daredevil movie.
0: It, it, it sort of felt like I've been watching Veep, but that's another story.
1: Oh, also that, uh,
0: yeah. Uh, and credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. To talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new action-adventure sequel, Indiana Jones, and The Dial of Destiny, which you can now get on various premium VOD sites. Uh, It is available to buy. It should be available to rent uh, very, very soon. And uh, will also be available on Blu-ray very, very soon, if you're still into the uh, physical media aesthetic, as I am, actually. Um... But that's just me, Uh, and the uh, Indiana Jones review is going to be in the back half of the show for the first half. Uh, In honor of The Nun Part 2, I don't know how you release it and not call it Part 2. I mean, I have a lot of questions about The Nun, uh, just generally. Um, I'm not sure why you hire the younger sister of your franchise's star and just do nothing with it. But... uh, that's the that's the big. St- Actually, first of all, Candace, did you see the Nun Part One?
1: I did not see the Nun Part One. I know that this is part of the Conjuring universe. It is. And so, when you say the younger sister of your 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 series star, do you mean Lynn Shay's sister?
2: <laughs> no, no, uh... she is.
1: She is. Let's be let's be honest. She's the whole like James Waniverse star, right?
0: No, no, no. Um. Vera Farmiga plays uh Lorraine uh Warren. Uh, yes, Lorraine in the, Warren, yes. In the mothership franchise. Um and Tisa Farmiga, who is her younger sister, plays um the the good nun in the nun movies. Because in the nun movies mm-hmm. there's the good nun and then there's the bad nun.
1: And right, she, pla- she right. plays the good nun. Yeah, see see the conjuring and <laughs> Annabelle and the nun and the insidious and <laughs> there was something else that came out of Insidious. They all blend into, like, one giant thing. Um, and so I didn't... I had sort of forgotten that The Nun technically is more um, the conjuring side. Like, it's not the character that came mm-hmm. out of the Insidious films, right?
0: No, because, Insidious is se- is separate. Is
1: But there yeah. is... A woman there who was a nun one of the i don't know who can keep up with this stuff this is worse than marvel
0: <laughs> uh let's not go crazy let's not under i mean we're only what eight movies into the conjuring expanded universe anyway okay, so
1: it's worse than the fast and the furious which coincidentally i for some reason i'm re-watching <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay wow what an what a uh what a pronouncement here right off the top <laughs> um okay so uh, the reason we're talking about the nun part two is that uh we're kind of uh celebrating the arrival of the nun part two which isn't co- it's called the nun two i'm adding the part two because i think that that was a real missed opportunity um but we're, we're in, in honor in honor of the nun part two we are uh going to talk about some of our favorite horror part twos um this is a list i could only do with candace um so it 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 just all has come together as it were uh to to uh to to bring this together so candace uh any initial thoughts about uh what makes a good part two
1: um yeah so first i find it interesting because you're saying it's called the nun Two but you want it to be called none part two yeah which is actually interesting because outside of the whole scream and halloween things where they just decided to not put numbers on the films at all for a bit (laughs) um i i did realize that all of my films are sort of different where some are called part two and some are just called whatever two Mm -hmm. and and that's i'm gonna start thinking more about that and why (laughs) why they've chosen to do things that way um
2: but Another thing think...
1: to
0: think about along with that, though, is Roman numerals or Arabic numerals.
1: Yes. G- good point. Good point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, horror is very, very, you know, there's so many layers to horror. You can really dive deep.
0: <laughs> A lot of layers. A lot of layers. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um. So what's interesting about part twos, particularly in horror,
2: mm-hmm.
1: is that I feel like they only kind of come in two categories. Mm-hmm. First category is, they had a great film, and oh my god, it made so much money, we have to make a second one. And the second one is fine or bad, and probably leads to a number of other ones after that. Mm -hmm. Or, the first one was all right kind of a new director, sort of learning some things, testing some things out, and then they go, oh, now that I've actually done it, now I have... Now I understand more. I'm better at story crafting. I'm better at filmmaking. And then we get a second movie that is so much better than the first, uh, which doesn't. I, I I think that in that case, it doesn't so much lead to many other films afterwards. But mm. if it does, it's because it's not by the same person. Typically, that person then goes, now I know what I'm doing and I'm going to go make other good movies.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Um, All right.
1: All of mine, I yes. think, are in the second. Eh, maybe not. Maybe they're in the first. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see when I go through them.
0: Yeah, so I was going to say, let's see what's actually in, in these lists. So
1: uh, why don't you go first? Okay. So um, I'm not going to talk about Terrifier 2 because okay. I have talked about Terrifier 2 already in our uh, year-end review Um, I was as shocked as anybody else that it was just about one of the best films of the year and is definitely one of those films that comes into the second category where it's like, you know, they did a bunch of things, a bunch of indie things, learned a whole lot, made a really good film. Mm -hmm. Um, What I am going to talk about is another film that I think actually did the same thing, and that's Hostile Part 2. So... I, um like I have said, I haven't, I wasn't really a big torture porn sort of fan. I wasn't really into these films that were just graphic violence for violence's sake, or what I perceived to be violence's sake, because I didn't actually watch the films. Mm. Um, so I didn't see a lot of Eli Roth films when they came out. Um, and I've only recently started going back and, and watching them, uh, particularly because I I know how much he knows about horror, and he's actually a really interesting guy to listen to. Um, when he's interviewed about horror, I've heard him interviewed with Joe Bob Briggs. He's mm. done like a series on Shudder talking about the history of horror. He really mm. knows his stuff, and so I'm like, oh, okay, he isn't just what people say he is, which is some like hotshot dude bro who wants <laughs> to make exploitative, violent films where women die. I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. that's actually not what he's doing at all. But so I've recently watched Hostel for the first time and Mm -hmm. then Hostel Part Two, and I understand why people thought he might have been that dude, bro, who just wanted to make exploitative films. Because Hostel Part One, Mm -hmm. if you just watch it on the face, that's exactly what it is. It is
2: that's a dude, bro. Men
1: are absolute pigs, and it doesn't seem like they're pigs. In a way, like when watching the film, it doesn't seem like they're making any sort of statement about that. <laughs> like they just mm-hmm. are gross. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, ha- my having watched going through it looking for that, I can see it, but just on the, on the, like, it just doesn't look like that the first viewing or probably a- any viewings after if people aren't looking for that. Mm. Hostile part two, however, you can absolutely see that 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 this series was really about calling those men out mm-hmm. calling out misogyny calling out the the need for men to cause violence to feel powerful mm-hmm. because hostel part two changes that whole thing and makes it all women who are on um on vacation and mm-hmm. brought into this this hostel where they basically do a, a form of human trafficking, but um, mm-hmm. <laughs> these people are trafficked so that their wealthy uh, clients can just kill them in really disgusting, horrifying ways. Um, but yeah, Hostile Part 2 is just, it really takes that whole thing and shows more of the the men and why they're doing it and mm-hmm. what is so awful about it, and and you know it was i don't know if it was harder to watch because it didn't feel quite as violent as the first one but mm. it was certainly harder to watch as a woman because it's just like oh god every single one of you are that guy mm-hmm. and that means that every single like every man out there could be that guy
2: because mm-hmm. every
1: man in this movie is and uh i just i think it's really good and I get why people might not want to watch it because of the the violence. I get it., um, but I think that Eli Roth is not what people think he is. I think he's actually saying a lot more than it looks like. but it it kind of took him making that first film to get to the second one. yeah, um and and he needed that, you know, he had to kind of make that dude bro film. <laughs> first (laughs) to be able to get to the second one and the second one is great and you could probably just watch that one i guess um but i think that there's some benefit in watching both of them
0: i'm gonna follow along your line with my first pick and do the one where it's a director coming back to do a sequel to the original and changing it up um and my my first pick is Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Part. Two. It's actually part two. It's a part yes. two. Yes. Uh very important. Excellent choice. Yeah. So Toby Hooper comes back. It's, I want to say 15 years after the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, it gets a bigger budget. I think he gets like nine times the budget he had for the original. Um uh, add some like it's not like ha ha comedy, but it's very clearly like. Not taking itself seriously like the original does, and I don't know if that's because of of the money involved or he just he was trying to change it up. Um, you get Dennis Hopper in this. This is the one with Dennis Hopper where he plays the uh the Texas Ranger named Lefty, who is the uncle of two of the characters from the original. He's he's trying to get to the bottom of what happened to him. He's kind of become this Fox Mulder type, where he's like running across texas to any reports of chainsaw related violence um trying to figure out what happened there's a he finally gets like the tip that will lead him to the uh i guess depending on what version you're watching the slaughter family or the sawyer family um and uh you know it also involves his dj uh paradoxically named stretch who uh, is on the line with a, a pair of uh, of these bros that you're talking about? <laughs> um, when they are uh, attacked by the the slaughter Sawyer family while on the road, and they're they're talking to Stretch while while uh, she's recording the phone call. So it's evidence that uh, this family's out there uh, collecting peeps, and um, yeah, it, it it kind of goes from there. You get Bill Mosley as uh, Chop Top. Uh, you get uh, Jim Sidow as the cook. Um, it, it, it's not uh, Gunnar Hansen coming back as Leatherface, but uh, the film does something really interesting where it makes Leatherface kind of even more sympathetic. If you go back and watch the original Chainsaw, yeah, Leatherface is this big hulking guy with a chainsaw, but he is very clearly the, um, shall we say, the whipping boy of the family. They all take their their shots at him, and that's even more apparent in this version. Where he actually takes pity on Stretch and and tries to protect her from the others, and you get this wonderful, <laughs> very um, masochistic uh, misogynist <laughs> chant from uh, from uh, the father of the family, Jim Sidow, and he's like screaming at Leatherface: "Is it sex or the saw?" And uh, it's it's kind of over the top like that. The conclusion takes place like they, they have a hideout under amusement park. They've abandoned the farm and the whole climax is uh, stretch out trying to run chop top uh, by, by uh, running up this like fake mountain, this fake like Canadian uh, Canada's Wonderland like mountain um where they have the the grandfather in sort of like a, a mausoleum up top it's kind of bizarre but it it's very clear that Toby Hooper was enjoying having more money uh enjoying, kind of revisiting his greatest hit and uh yeah it's just over the top and Dennis Dennis Miller's having a great time i mean this is you, you get the chainsaw fight in this one where uh he goes to the hardware store and uh selects his selects his weapons as it were so we can it, it's just so bizarre it's like here this guy is this cop and uh a good 20 minutes of the film is g- going back and forth between the action underground and, and stretch trying to escape the family and dennis miller up top just cutting everything down with a chainsaw it's yeah, uh dennis d- hopper what did i say
1: miller which would have been equally interesting. <laughs> that would have been interesting. You're right, Dennis Hopper. But yeah, Dennis Hopper is like at, at peak Hopper in this film.
0: <laughs> he is peak Hopper in this, and it's brilliant. And uh, yeah, it's just it's so different from the original. But uh so much fun. It's kind of like the antidote to the original, in in a way. Um, and that's what I really liked about uh, about this series is that uh, you're getting something really, really different each time, even in the later ones um which uh, varying degrees of quality like the ones made in the last 10 15 years but no one no one feels com- terribly compelled to follow continuity or anything from any of the previous films so that's kind of refreshing <laughs>
1: yeah excellent choice that was my uh, my pick for last year's 100 horror movies in 92 days i chose that as the uh, um, second film in the franchise that goes the hardest in the opposite direction <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's right all right let's get to number or the next pick i don't know yeah. if we're doing numbers but... um
1: so the next one for me is slumber party massacre two mm-hmm. no part just two mm-hmm. um their loss their loss yeah sure sure um <laughs> So Slumber Party Massacre 2, obviously, a remake of the first Slumber Party Massacre. I have only seen one and two. Number three is incredibly hard to get uh, copies of. I think it's only available for sale on Amazon from like, you know, European sellers or something like that for some ridiculous price. It's not streaming anywhere. Mm. Uh, So I've yet to see the third one and I really want to because this is is a film series that is all uh, written and directed by women every single movie is, is written and directed by different different groups but it's all women-led um and of course you know it they are really in a way sort of parodies of slasher films because it's a bunch of girls that sleep sleepover and they all get killed so the reason i think the second one is actually better than the first one um mostly it's just it's like way more enjoyable the the killer and the second one is fantastic but i think there was so the first one was written um by i don't remember her name um but it was written by uh, a sort of noted feminist at the time and it was like a straight up parody of those slasher films and Mm -hmm. it took all of those tropes of and this is why it's the slumber party massacre right the tropes of put all the girls together, have them all do pillow fights and like (laughs) giggle and all that sort of stuff, and then kill them all off one by one. So she wrote a straight up parody of that sort of thing. And um, Roger Corman, who who produced the whole series, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I love Roger Corman films, but he has rules around how many breasts are supposed to be on screen per minute of film. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of thing. And so he he took her script and said he wanted to make it, like, not a parody, but actually, like, make it a horror film. So they just sort of made it a straight-ahead horror. Um, of course, because it was still directed by a woman and because they didn't really do too much to change the script, it still came out as a, a fairly, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> not not even subversive, feminist uh, masterpiece, I'd say still pretty straight on <laughs> feminist thing, but it it didn't it didn't quite achieve what it was what it was trying to do, I would say, just because of that that happened. So when the second one came out, um, it was written more knowing kind of what would end up happening, that it was still going to be a Roger Corman film. It was going to fit into all of these particular tropes. And so it was able to be more feminist while also still meeting all of those things. The other thing that's great about this is that in the first one, they have just like a straight-ahead killer. Mm-hmm. It's a guy, he's he's got a drill, he's killing people. The drill is obviously a phallic symbol, is supposed to represent the, you know, all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In this one, there is no straight-ahead head killer we're never really quite sure if it's in the one survivor of the first film if it's in her head or if it's really a thing but Mm -hmm. it's basically this guy who is uh anthropomorphized sex drugs and rock and roll (laughs) he is dressed all in red leather uh he's got this big pompadour like elvis style hair with shades he's tall and thin he's dancing he does songs and plays a guitar Um, throughout the film uh, and it's great (laughs) it is great it is like it does not even try to be a straight ahead horror it the whole time it's just this like bonkers sort of thing where this this girl is just like you are being tempted by Mm. sex drugs and rock and roll Mm -hmm. literally in your life and also visit metaphorically by this killer who is killing you and all of your friends Mm mm-hmm make your choice and it's great i love it it is so much fun to watch the first one is good also and a lot of fun but this is the one i go back to I have re-watched this film a number of times and i'm not sure that that i've watched the the first slumber party massacre after having seen it the first time
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's a good one um I want something a little bit different for my next pick um i before we decide on this as a topic, I, I just sort of had put it on randomly. Um it is Child's Play 2, which mm. pretty straightforward uh continuation. Chucky is uh destroyed at the end of part one. Uh part two opens with them putting him back together in a new refurbished good guy doll. And uh essentially the what you learn very quickly in the opening is this corporation's been under scrutiny for this urban now urban legend that uh, a good guy doll came to life and killed a bunch of people and uh you know they, they so they put the put the evidence back together to the sea and it turns out yeah, no it's everything's fine um then we catch up with andy who is the kid from part one he's now in foster care his mom's been put in um, a mental health facility, because she's talking about all this craziness about a doll come to life. The uh, the cops, as uh, police in horror movies often do, have uh, uh, agreed to forget about the whole thing. Um, and uh, I mean, because at the end, it's not just Chris Randon who sees Chucky in the first. At the end of the first one, if people may recall, it's several. Um, anyway, uh, Andy's in foster care. He meets uh, a new foster sister, played by Christina Lee. Uh, and Chucky tracks him down because, of course, the whole point of Chucky is that he has to put his soul inside Andy um, or else he will stay a doll forever. Uh, there's some serious gaslighting of poor Andy in this, but uh, it, it is a lot of fun. Uh, Brad Duriff he he owns he finally takes full ownership of chucky he clearly relishes being this doll's voice this is work where you get a lot of the rah and stuff and it's uh he's clearly having a lot of fun adding you know sort of like a teen character is what was a smart move by don mancini because you know uh christina Lee gets to, uh, the burden gets put on her to do a lot of the physical stuff while you get to uh poor little alex vincent gets to focus on the, the the emotional stuff of you know what if a doll's trying to kill you and to steal your soul and um but it, it's a good combination and uh, a couple of good set pieces at the end in the good guy factory where they're running through this like just maze of these good guy dolls and you don't know where chucky's gonna come from and chucky loses a hand at one point and replaces it with a knife which uh is a lot of fun too it's the 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 film series has a lot of fun with just how um how how being a doll can turn to your advantage um but yeah it's a good time solid i think it's 85 minutes so you're in and out um but boy was this like a like an economical sequel you know there's a budgetary reasons why it's it feels kind of so cheap but you know it works to the I think the advantage the, the pup the the doll puppet effects are better than the original. And yeah, everyone's just having a great time. And uh it's just a perfectly enjoyable little Chucky adventure, as it were.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I quite enjoy that film. Um and I'm glad that uh characters from it have carried on forward in the rest of the
0: in the Chucky verse.
1: Yeah, in the rest of the the movies <laughs> and television show.
0: That's right. I still haven't seen the uh, Chucky season one or two, but it's uh, I, I'll, I'm i trying to work through my way through back through the movies and I'll probably get to it sooner rather than later. All right, let's get to our last picks.
1: All right. Last one for me Um, uh, might be not surprising for people who know how much I love Hallmark movies. Uh, <laughs> Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, written and... um kind of co-directed by ron oliver who is uh uh, one of the stable of uh writer directors for the hallmark universe as well uh and canadian which is great so uh this first (laughs) this film is so good it's just it's so much fun (laughs) it is it's like peak 80s it's got the fashion it's got the like um you know very special episode of one of the girls finds out she's pregnant. Um, <laughs> the the woman playing uh, uh, Mary Lou, Mary Lou Maloney, uh, is great. So the idea is that in the 50s, there was a tragedy. This woman, Mary Lou, uh, was elected prom queen and there was a fire and she died. Mm-hmm. Um, she wasn't a saint. Uh, we open on her uh, giving confession to a priest about how much she enjoys sex um and then mm-hmm. leaving her her <laughs> name and number saying for a good time call Mary Lou and here's my number on the inside of the confession box so she wasn't a saint um but uh she was she was wronged she was killed too young and so she's able to come back in the 80s to enact her revenge against the uh uh, two guys who were warring over her who accidentally caused her death. Uh, this has nothing to do with the first prom night movie whatsoever. Nope. None. this is the, I would say this is the third way that sometimes second films come. Uh, mm-hmm. This was a whole film it was it was made, it was written, it was filmed. Uh, it was called something something Hamilton High I think, uh, which mm. is the name of the high school. And then the company that uh, uh, bought it or made it decided they were going to attach Prom Night to it because they owned the Prom Night franchise. Yeah. And so let's do that. Uh, so it has nothing to do with the first movie. Um, people have sort of felt that that in the end that actually gave the film worse reception because people were expecting something that would tie into the first Prom Night movie and did not. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now, of course, it's great. We have this resurgence of people going back and watching older films and saying, actually, this movie is just, it's quite good the way it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very good film. We don't have to have it tie into the Prom Night universe. And as it turns out, moving forward, there were future Prom Nights that actually, well, the number four actually, or number three. Tied Mm -hmm. into this one with Mary Lou Maloney again, but future prom nights did not. This is just a good excuse to put a number of teenagers in pretty dresses and kill them all. Mm -hmm. And it is, this is, it's so much fun. It's funny. Ron Oliver is a hilarious script writer, um, which probably is why I enjoy his Hallmark movies so much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Also, easily available on Shutter, too yes Uh, yeah yeah, no it's true uh it's a real troll 2 situation troll 2 another famous one that was developed as not a troll movie um in (laughs) fact they're they're pointedly called goblins in the movie um all right so to to wrap things up uh i discovered this one a couple of years ago because i finally like i was at the i was at walmart and it was like the cheap bin of like dvds and it's like here's a three Three movies in one pack for like $5.99. And I thought, eh, hey, why not? <laughs> uh Psycho 2. Now ah,
1: you... <laughs> Yes. Such a great film.
0: <laughs> you would think, uh, who the heck would make a sequel to Psycho, perhaps one of the the most perfect movies of all time? You wouldn't you don't need a Psycho sequel, do you? No. Turns out you do need at least two out of three of the Psycho sequels. Um, psycho 2 takes place it it picks up in real time like 20 some odd years after the original norman bates is declared sane uh, and is released from custody he returns back to his mother's house and uh immediately people start just you know making norman's life miserable like he did he did the work he's recovered uh no more dual personality and uh it turns out his his family hotel's being run by a real scumbag. Um you have uh Vera Miles returning as uh Lila Crane Loomis. Um she ended up marrying her sister's uh lover which bit weird but uh it happened (laughs) um her and her daughter mary have uh set up this uh sort of scheme to drive norman crazy again so that he will be put back in prison uh lila obviously feeling there's been a miscarriage of justice so it's all about gaslighting poor norman who uh great and it's a great performance by anthony perkins too where he, he he just um he really plays that conflict norman like somebody's trying to get back to life and trying to find you know live a normal life he's finally free of his mother's influence but he can't quite shirk um that shadow and he's slowly being driven mad by these people who won't let him be i guess um and yeah it's it's a really surprisingly complex movie um uh, you know it's about you know, can one be redeemed for uh doing past evil deeds? Should they be redeemed? Uh, what happens when um the person seeking redemption is in earnest, but the people around him can't forgive and forget? It's it it, it is really there's a lot going on with this movie, a surprising amount going on with this movie. And uh great cast too. Megan Tilley plays Mary. You get Dennis Franz uh as the 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 hotel manager Robert Loja as his shrink. Um, And yeah, it's all built around like a really solid script. Tom Holland wrote it that there's your um, child's play connection. But I mean, you you can't really talk about eighties horror without Tom Holland. He did fright night and a couple other things too. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's feel kind of a shame that you kind of wrote off these psycho sequels when actually a lot of real care went into them uh to make them like sort of really viable movies and not just sort of pale imitators to to the original so
1: yeah and i i love the second film and i love what it what it says right about mm-hmm. about retribution about yep. uh, like restorative justice yep. about who is actually hurt when you don't forgive like mm-hmm. forgiveness isn't something you do for the person who caused you wrong it's something you do for yourself otherwise you and up that's right. like Vera Miles. Yep.
0: Character. That's right. Yeah. Um, well speaking of surprisingly necessary sequels, we'll ask if Dial of Destiny is that for Indiana Jones. We're gonna come right back with that review. You are listening to end credits here on CFRU ninety three point three FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio.
2: We took something else from your apartment.
0: It was under the bed.
2: Thanks, Sala. I also brought my passport. I could help you. In Tangier... whatever chance takes us, in the eye. I miss the desert. I miss the sea. And I miss waking up every morning wondering what wonderful adventure the new day will bring to us. This is not an adventure, Salah. Those days have come and gone. Perhaps, perhaps not. Give them hell, Indiana Jones! <laughs>
0: Alrighty, that was a clip from Indiana Jones and The Dial of Destiny. It's the newest film from James Mangold, and it stars Harrison Ford, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Matt Mickelson, Antonio Banderas, John Reese, davies Toby Jones, and Karen Allen. I am so glad that Candace uh, wanted to visit this, because I've had a lot to say about dial of destiny and a lot of conflicting feelings about it. But let's let's get to Candace's feelings first, Mm -hmm. Um, because you you saw this like on a murderer's row day, like (laughs) just like nonstop hits.
1: (laughs) I did. So, yeah, I went to the movie theater. I I took myself out for my birthday and I went to the movie theater and I didn't go home for like, I don't know, 10 hours or something. So I saw the uh, the Meg. What is it called? Meg Two? colon, the trench. That's so right. I want to talk about that's how it. second films are <laughs> titled. Yeah. That's a weird yeah. one.
0: That's a, yeah, so a bit I, weird. So I saw
1: the second Meg movie. I saw Barbie and I saw Indiana Jones. Um, And I went to the theater. I don't like going to because uh, uh Indy was only playing at that one. Mm-hmm. And so I went, okay, well, let me just see if I can make this timing work. And it worked so that I could see the, the six o'clock showing of this movie. And God, thank God I saw the six o'clock showing because this movie was long. Mm-hmm. It was hard for it to be the last one
2: <laughs>
1: in, my, in my section. It was uh, it was a little too long for me. Uh, and I went into it going, hmm, that's a troublesome time to sit in the theater and watch a movie, but I'm going to do it because it's Indiana Jones. Um, and I came out... Uh, enjoying it but wishing that it was 25 minutes shorter
2: mm. mm-hmm. yeah
0: i think that's correct i mean there's there's a great there's the great chase through the streets of new york where he gets on the horse and boyd holbrook chases him on a motorcycle and they end up in the subway and i i was surprised like how short that sequences and then you get this like Mm -hmm. really long chase in uh tanchier uh (sighs) tanchier yeah we're you know we're trading we're going back and forth on different motorbikes and things and it just seemed like there's kind of no pace to it Um, yeah
1: i i really i mean i hated that chase scene while i was watching it (laughs) i was like we get it you paid to rent the entire city (laughs) <laughs> like it's fine I don't need to see the whole city and like even the sort of character bits when they were going back and forth I was like this is all none of this is new information I don't know why that mm. particular chase scene they felt had to be so long and it wasn't yeah. even um you know we've we've obviously we cover you covered all three of the other uh Indiana Jones films um <laughs> for. But you know, you and I talked about The Last Crusade, and we did talk about how great their chase scenes are and how like yeah. sort of slow moving and dramatic Yeah, they are. You can still feel tension, but all of the chase scenes in this film were on rather high speed right. uh, vehicles. Yeah. And too long. And also, you know, edited in in the modern way so mm-hmm. they weren't even interesting to watch
0: <laughs> well i mean and there's a bit like the, you, you can split up all those actions and you're just thinking about last crusade the, the, they're in sections like in the uh, in the the venice part they're like in the underground and they're running from the fire and then they come topside and they're being chased by the other guys and then they get into boats and then the the, the one in the desert later it's indy on horseback indy gets on the tank indy Um, almost falls off the tank, and he's back on the tank fighting the guy. So you get these like breaks of like the action. It it, it's essentially one action sequence, but there are there's different challenges, different stakes. And this this one in Tangier and Dial Destiny we're talking about just they're just driving around and around and around and around and being chased by the same. They're chasing one car and they're being chased by another car, and there's this kind of no. And I don't know if that's because you know because of of Harrison Ford being eighty one and being sort of limited in in the action i mean that's certainly a consideration but um yeah there it just there's not much going on in that scene and it's uh, i don't know i don't know because to me that's where the movie kind of turns it's like there's a good momentum in the movie till they get to that sequence and then it feels like uh, a slog to get to the finish line Mm -hmm. a bit
1: yeah yeah i definitely felt it and and it's funny because most people sort of agree and i agree that sort of the final um uh sort of set piece Mm -hmm. when they actually use the dial Mm -hmm. and end up in the past um i actually became very invested again and really liked that yeah me too yeah Uh, but previous to that you know uh India's shot and they're on the plane. And I was just like, okay, I'm like checking my time to see how much <laughs> longer the film is going on. Like it was really dragging. Mm-hmm. And it kind of it kind of takes away from that great scene at the end when they're they're back in time. Even though I mean I mean, all <laughs> Indiana Jones movies are cheesy. Let's let's be realistic. Sure. But there was yeah. something Quite cheesy about that right just the the eureka moment and you know meeting you know a, a a hero from history and that sort of thing it was kind of um it was a little mm-hmm. disney-esque i'll say Yeah. but also that does happen in these movies a little bit like not so much that kind of feeling but some of that sort of silly silliness
2: yeah
0: yeah, it, it it does revisit that idea that um, the villain always kind of gets what they want, which is a thing that happens in every Indiana Jones movie that the villain mm-hmm. gets the thing they want, but not in the way they thought they were going to get it. Yeah. So you have Donovan getting the fake Holy Grail and you know turning it to dust. You have Belloc opening the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and exploding and um even in even in kingdom of the crystal skull uh the Kate blanchette character you know tells the alien she wants to know everything and that blows Mm. her up and that that's always been key to the thing and I kind of yeah, I, I think it pro- that's another thing that could have been cut down. They didn't necessarily have to crash land and meet Archimedes and uh like having the kid come along and the having the talk about Chekhov's like fake cockpit setup. Um <laughs> but, but <laughs> that like that that was kind of a bit much too to, to just have like it, it would have been I think it would have been so much cooler if it just like had come through the porthole and saw the scene and managed to make it back again because it's it, it, it's a little much i i think i think so much of this and i don't know how you know kind of what was going on they had four screenwriters credited for the thing but you know it, it just seemed like we're trying to hit all the notes and
2: you know
0: mm-hmm. we're trying to maximize the budget it's like like they didn't need, ultimately didn't need the help because i think one of the, the problems with the film is that the the COVID 19 protocols have had budgetary impacts on a lot of different movies but it just it felt like we need to we we really need to show the budget we really need to show we spent money on this like it's not enough to just make an indiana jones movie we have to make a really ultra expensive indiana jones movie
1: which yeah and and on that too i Mm. I didn't really i also didn't like the we also have to bring everybody in and all the all the like all the notes all the the Indie-isms, that We have to bring it all back. Like, yeah, Sala showed up, and I was like, God, they got John Reese Davies into this. Like, why? Yeah. Especially why? Because like he literally did nothing. He was just a cameo.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then bring in Antonio Banderas later. It's like, okay, we can have Sala or we can have Antonio Banderas. We don't need both.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like just <laughs> make it make it one person. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: It's yeah, it that that's that does seem to be the thing, right? It, it just you know they couldn't bring Salah back for um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which was another one of those things that it seemed like we're we're bringing stuff back to um, because we can, and, and there's a lot of that to this movie. I agree, like the whole yeah. sequence, like the, the whole, like the first half hour, maybe that's too much, giving it too much credit, but it's easily a twenty minute sequence that takes place in World War II. Mm-hmm. And it feels very much like we've been talking about, like, what did Indiana Jones do during World War II? Like, it was kind of alluded to in Crystal Skull, um, that he was part of OSS, and like, all the like, all, you know, what was he doing, you know, behind enemy lines, and so on and so forth. And it's like, well, now we can do it because we could DH Harrison Ford and we can a- now actually show it. So, you know, it, it, there's definitely a feeling like we can indulge in this bit of extravagance because we, we now have the technology as opposed to, you know, I'm not sure how much of that you really need. Um, if you need the entire sequence, uh, if you need to get, you know, poor Thomas Kretschman out to play like a, a Nazi stooge for the 101th time, it's
1: <laughs> <laughs> talk about typecast, <laughs> talk about
0: typecasting. It's like, we have a German character. What's Thomas Crutchman up to these days? Um, yeah it it just it it feels very extravagant and self-indulgent and you know yeah
1: and i don't know who it's for because i would say that most fans of indiana jones so first of all the third film the last crusade did a lot of that also Mm -hmm. and it was meant to be the end and so they they did that it kind of brought things back it was a little bit You know, as we talked about a little bit of a course correction, maybe after Temple of Doom, but Mm -hmm. also kind of a like, well, this is the last one we're going to make, and so let's you know bring back our friends, bring back Indy's friends and Harrison Ford's friends, and you know the the filmmakers' friends, and let's just like have a good time, and and have it be done. And then Crystal Skull came, and they were like, well, everybody wants more Indiana Mm -hmm. Jones, so we better do this, Mm -hmm. and now. It's just like, did they, I don't think they did any of this for the fans. I don't think any of us fans needed Salah to come back or needed to see what Indy was doing in World War II. I don't think like that any of us were particularly asking for that. We were just, or even Mm. that we needed to see Marion. That was a whole other, but like, Mm -hmm. we just wanted one last adventure Mm -hmm. and could have been one last adventure in like a very literal sense. They had an opportunity to to do something really
2: mm-hmm. quite
1: interesting with the ending
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and
1: decided not to. And that's fine. Like, I don't think that it was a mistake that they didn't leave Indy in the past. Yeah. I don't think that was a mistake, but I also think it could have been interesting if they did it and it would have really... I think it might have been a nicer cap on everything than mm-hmm. going... And here are all your favorites back again here. We'll even redo this scene and redo that scene and we'll do this scene, but flip it over. I'm like, I don't know.
0: It's, yeah. So much of this, I mean, you, you made that it's not for fans comment. I don't know how else to explain the, uh, <laughs> the, the mutt. I don't know if you want to join my hashtag justice for mutt movement, but uh <laughs> I mean, it's not like Mutt was a great character. I don't think Mutt was a great character. I don't think Shia Buff was really great. I understand I, mean, I, I I mentioned this when we were talking about Crystal Skull. Peter and I were talking about Crystal Skull. I under, I hundred percent understand why Shia Buff at that time got that part. Um Spielberg was you know, one of his patrons. Um he he was, you know, like an emerging talent at the time. Um so I hundred under I hundred percent I understand why. Having said that, he wasn't great in the part. Shia LaBeouf. The part itself was kind of underwritten, but there was still good stuff. I mean, we talked about the scene in the malt shop with him and Indy. That like, there that, that was a really great scene. Uh, good character work with those two. The whole idea, like, okay, I mean, I understand Shia LaBeouf also has like deep seated personal issues. He's trying to work through, which is why he doesn't work very much anymore. But still, like, just like, it's a very Poochie's dead moment when we <laughs> when we learn that much uh, at the and I did the math. I literally did the math on this. At the age of 32, enlisted <laughs> in the U.S. Army and went to Vietnam and was killed in action. It's a very like Poochie was killed on the way back to his home planet moment.
1: Yeah, like yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. They should they could have, I mean they even they could have had him die, but they could have had him like have a, <laughs> a death that actually made sense. Like yeah, yeah. It was just that felt. I don't know. I don't know what that was about
0: i mean and it could i mean it could have been any number of things it could have been you know he he's he has a family of his own and he's you know got a job in uh, you know france or something it's you know indy being an old guy and you know having a job can't see his family very much or something happened you know there are a million and one things it just felt very very cheap it's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, Mutt died in it, it felt like a pretty much like a, Mutt died in Vietnam. They could have just stuck it at the end of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, for that matter. It, it just it feels very, very cheap. And and then it, it forces this movie to sort of walk around a lot of the same thematic ground of the last one, which is like Indy's. There's this great line that Jim Broadbent has in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull where he says, we seem to have reached a point in our lives when life stops giving us things and starts taking them away. And it's this really kind of like dour moment. India sitting at his desk, looking at the portraits of his father and Marcus Brody. And and he's really kind of living in that moment. Life has taken stuff away. Um, and then at the end of that movie, he's actually given things. He's given Marion back. He's given this son that he never knew he had. And and sort of this renewed optimism and vigor about life. And then we start this movie and it's gone again. And it it, it just seemed purely for the express purposes of like, we like some of the stuff we did with Kingdom of Crystal Skull, but we know you guys were mad, so now we're gonna do it right. And it just feels like that's the same tone we had when in when the Disney era of Lucasfilm started with like we're like Force Awakens, we're gonna bring back all the stuff you love about Star Wars. And we're gonna get rid of mm-hmm. like midi chlorines and Jar Jar Binks, and we're gonna go back to Stormtroopers and Skywalkers, and it, it, it just it feels like it feels so stolid. It feels so stagnant. And I, I, if, the thing I hate, though, is that talking about it this way, it feels like I really didn't like a dialogue Destiny. I, I kind of <laughs> yeah. enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm with you too. Like, I think that there are definitely problems with it, but it was like, it was a very enjoyable movie. I think people should absolutely watch it. Uh, Cause it was, it was fun. It did, like I said, it dragged in a few places, but it was definitely fun and it was like a good fun adventure. Mm-hmm. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge was great. She's, she's a, lot yeah. she she was brought, a lot of fun. Yeah. She brought so much life to the screen and frankly, just sort of on the, the, what you were just saying about, you know, Indy being kind of a, a grump and I've heard a lot of people complain about this I I don't I didn't have a problem with that in fact that's what I expect Indiana Jones in the late 60s to be yeah. he is a man who in his youth was like like huge right he, he did a lot of things and he's very smart and he was like he was kind of you know, all of his students loved him and all of that. And mm-hmm. I understand that he would feel out of time in the 60s. Like, let's be honest. Every yeah. 80-year-old man in the 60s felt out of time. That was a dramatic yeah. change. Yeah. And so we didn't have to necessarily have him and Marion break up and have Mutt die for him to be a grumpy old man. I yeah. think Indiana Jones, even as a happy person in his home life, would still be a grumpy old man in <laughs> yeah. the, the 60s (laughs) that's right yeah
0: there's i mean and that's what the one of the things the movie does right is like you see that you have the classroom scene where he's teaching and unlike in the previous movies where it's like students who are like just gobbling up all this wisdom he's it's like people falling asleep and looking out the window longingly to to get out onto the street for this celebration about the uh the returning apollo 11 astronauts It, it that i mean that's that's the way this would have been in 69. You have this old man obsessed with Archimedes and the, the second century and, you know, people just landed on the moon. It, it you know, that's that, that sets up its own uh, dynamic too. And just for, for, for one last point, one last kind of negative point, John. Well, I mean, I realized John Williams is 90 something years old, but he was phoning it in. <laughs> there was a lot of recycling in this movie. Like this should get like an environmental award for recycling. Is is where I'm going to leave it.
1: <laughs> All right, there we go. Recycling awards delivered.
0: <laughs> but no, it's.
1: I think they call those themes, and they're meant to return.
0: There, there are themes, but there is like straight up photocopying from previous scores. And I say this as someone who is, has like has listened to Indiana Jones scores like on repeat on something called a compact disc um (laughs) tell me more (laughs) it just he was lifting entire portions of the last crusade and raider score wholesale and pacing them into dial of destiny i see you john williams i see you all right that's the end of the show (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll 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 come back with more Cinema Sins with John Williams next week I'm kidding <laughs> Um, if you like the show you can listen to it again you can download it from our website every Friday at endcreditsradioshow.com you can get it on the Guelph Podcast channel on Podbean or through your favorite app like Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify oh wait, Stitcher's gone I read Phantom Stitcher on my screen there my bad
1: oh, it's not even written there
0: no, it's not even written. It's just habit. It's crazy. Just muscle
1: memory. <laughs> muscle
0: memory on the tongue. And speaking of Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just open up Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can also stay connected to us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. I'll be back here on CFRU tomorrow at 5 p.m. for News and Politics with Scotty Hertz over on Open Sources Guelph. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson or check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca and Candace where can people find you out there on the internets
1: I can be found everywhere on the internet at sin48cinn48 um, not really Twitter though but if you want to find the other places just you know google me
0: <laughs> alrighty uh, and you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM CFRU.ca Guelph campus and community radio this show and credits we'll be back here next Wednesday at 3pm for another edition and we will of course see you right there and then <laughs>